Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 167 of the Padres East Village Times podcast. Dominic Stern and Sammy Benbo here with you. No James once again with us. Hopes he could be back with us next week. But we had some pretty important news that we had to talk about because on Sunday morning, Padre fans got to wake up to the news that Manny Machado is reportedly agreed to an 11-year, $350 million extension with the team. Sammy, I mean, obviously that's very big news, and we talked about it on the previous episode. We said the walkaway number, if you're Peter Seidler, $350 million. What number did they go after? Yeah, $350 million. We We were kind of right on the money there, I think. Um, in terms of years, I think we both kind of assumed it was going to be uh, double digit years. So he got 11 years. And then we also assume that the, that the number of the contract was going to start with a three and it did. So uh, overall 11 years, 350 million, it's going to keep Manny in San Diego for the rest of his career. He also said that it's the hat that he's going to wear into the hall of fame. If he is so lucky to get inducted to the hall of fame, that's still, you know, hopefully at least 15 years away. Um, but, but it's still really cool that, that we'll get to see Manny in Padres Brown and gold for the rest of his career. I think it, it just would have looked wrong if he was in another team's uniform, you know, he, he's just become such a big part of San Diego and, and just kind of like the personality of that team as a whole. And so I'm really excited that he, he's going to be a Padre for the rest of his career. And especially once he signs this contract, he's not going to take, the Padres over the or or he's not going to take the Orioles over the Padres certainly wasn't going to take the Dodgers after he was only a Dodger for three months and the fan base hated him and supposedly a lot of the players did too so it, it just made sense I mean he kind of confirmed what we knew but it's really cool to hear nonetheless and we we talked about it on the last episode uh, him just saying he was going to opt out was just literally him confirming like hey this year ends I'm not going to finish out this contract. He never said, I don't want to be here. He never said, I'm going to test free agency. He just said, I'm going to opt out of this contract. And guess what? He's got a new contract. So uh, it's going to work out for both parties. And it's just crazy seeing these, these contracts being thrown around by the San Diego Padres, the team that we were excited for when, I don't know, Clint Barnes or someone else signed like, a four million Ian Kinsler signing a two year, $8 million contract. You're like, let's go. The Padres got a big name. And now unless you see something big like this, you know, it's just crazy. $340 million for Fernando Tatis Jr. $280 million for Xander Bogarts. Now $350 million for Manny Machado. I mean, as bad as he was, Eric Hosmer, $144 million. Manny Machado previously $300 million. It's just crazy to think about. Yeah. And I mean, by all indications, it doesn't sound like they're done. Like there, there have been reports that have come out since the news was announced that they're still anticipated to at least explore an extension with Juan Soto. I think that the odds of him walking after 2024 probably went up regardless, just because they, the Padres probably don't have unlimited money. They don't have unlimited resources and it's going to be really hard to retain Soto anyways. But uh, I mean, with Peter Seidler at this point, 
you can't really doubt anything. Like if he says he's going to do something, you kind of have to take him for his word that he's going to do it. He said multiple times throughout the spring so far that Manny was his top priority coming into spring training, going into the season. They, they wanted to keep him here for the rest of his career. And, you know, lo and behold, it's the end of February and that's already taken care of. So uh, it's, it's really exciting to see, like you said, like it's crazy that when you see these little deals, like, Oh, like signing Matt Carpenter or Nelson Cruz, something that would have really excited us like five years ago, just that they signed someone of significance is now kind of just like, yeah, and they're depth signing they're or whatever they'll hit sixth or seventh or whatever. So it's really cool to see like just full scale, how much this organization has shifted in terms of spending money. And it's cool to see them get national recognition too. You know, like, I mean, you and I know better than anyone five years ago, nobody was talking about the Padres. And now it seems like they're in national baseball news every single week. And it's really just cool to see. I think the craziest thing is Rob Manfred openly, like not bashing the Padres, but he's kind of like, I don't know if it's going to work. Like he, the other owners are so mad that Peter Seidler is spending money and exposing those owners as frauds. They're telling their boss, essentially, Rob Manfred, Major League Baseball commissioner, to go out and basically question it, despite the fact that Peter Seidler is doing this because he knows how many people are going to come to his ballpark, buy merchandise, buy food, buy beer, all that sort of stuff. And I think it's really cool to see. But focusing more on what this could bring to the Padres. Obviously this doesn't change anything for this year, at least from a roster perspective, but 11 years for Machado. He's not a young player at this point. He's only 30 years old. will turn 31 in July, but he's going to eventually be 42 years old by the time this contract ends 41 beginning his last year. And I've, been one that says you know Machado he's a very durable player despite what Dan Clark Sports says on Twitter once again back-to-back episodes we're going to call him out uh he he stays healthy takes good care of himself as a leader great fielder great hitter I'm not too concerned about the length of the contract at least not for the first six to seven years yeah, I agree. I do think that for the next few years, he will age more gracefully. I think that, you know, he's not fast. Speed isn't really a factor. I think his hit tool is still elite to the point where that's something that he can retain for the next 10 to 11 years, right? I think in the later stages of the deal, it will look a little... I don't know, a little bit like an albatross potentially when he's 38 or 39 and maybe he has to shift to being a full-time DH and, you know, you got Xander Bogarts as well, who's getting up there. So it's a little concerning, but I think that's kind of naturally what you think about whenever you sign a player to a a decade long deal or more. Like, I I think that's kind of just a consideration you have to take into account. Um, and, And with these contracts that we've been seeing recently, this through this past off season, owners are willing to sacrifice a little bit of performance on the back end If it means they can get the player for a little bit less money annually on the front end. And while Manny's AAV did go up, it was pretty modest. Like he, I think his AAV now it went from 30 million to just under 32 million. If I was doing the math correctly. So 
in 10 years, yeah, it's still going to be a lot of money, but I mean, we've seen like the qualifying offer go up three or 4 million in the last five years. Like I wouldn't be surprised if the qualifying offer is 25 million in 2033 when Manny Steele is up. So uh, like we've talked about before, there is a little bit of concern with this deal and with the Bogarts deal on the back end, but we've said it multiple times. You worry about that when you get there. This is about a win now move and maximizing the team's chances going forward in the next, you know, three to five years when Manny's still kind of towards the tail end of his prime. Right. And I think that just looking at it seven, eight years down the line, $30 million is obviously still going to be a lot, but it won't be anywhere near as much. When Manny Machado signed this contract, it was the largest contract given out to a free agent in baseball history. Going into this point now, it was the 11th biggest contract. So as it goes on, Juan Soto is going to get a bigger contract. Shohei Otani is going to get a bigger contract. I bet Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to get a bigger contract. And Julio Rodriguez has that weird contract. Like it, It's going to change. Manny Machado price tag range isn't going to be as bad. It's not like Albert Pujols who signed for so much and had already had several years under his belt in Major League Baseball. And then his first three years were good. And then after that, it was just awful. It plagued the Angels. They weren't able to go do as much in the late tw- uh, the late 2010s. And then they said, all right, Anthony Rendon, we can go do that. And now it's the same thing there. It It, it seems like this is potentially going to be different but if it is any different you hope that that's not towards the back half when hopefully some of the other Padres players can come in and step up so I, I, I'm there with you I don't think it's going to be that big of a concern but there's absolutely a risk involved when you do this yeah I, I think that's natural I think it's the risk with every contract right like like even with some of the younger guys that the Braves have been signing like Michael Harris for example they gave him eight years 72 million He's as a rookie, he's unproven. Nobody knows if he's going to fall off the face of the earth in the next year or two, but you're committing to that because you're committing to the player for, you know, the next X amount of years period of time. And you're, you're hoping that they can perform above that level that you're paying them. You're hoping that they can provide that value that has led to them earning the contract that they're given. So I, I think there's a natural risk in every contract. I think that the Padres understand that. I think I saw something that was out there that it wasn't unanimous among team officials to give Manny a contract with a length of 11 years, just because of the trepidations of how that would look in year nine, 10 and year 11. But I think it's a good move overall. The only one other thing that I'm a little concerned about that might hamper the team going forward is the fact that they're allocating, I want to say it's over a hundred million dollars, you know, per year in the next few years to Manny, Xander, Tatis, Darvish, and Musgrove. That, that's five players that are going to be making, you know, I, I think three of them are going to be making 20 five to $30 million annually. And then obviously Darvish's deal gets a little bit but that's just the one concern that I would have is that if you're spending so much money on five or six players, it limits you a little bit to what you can do with the rest of the roster. But I'm not going to doubt Peter, Peter Seidler. I'm just going to be interested to see how it looks in a few years when you're committing so much money to a small percentage of your roster. Yeah. And then the big question that this opens up is can the Padres find a way to extend Juan Soto or pay Juan Soto can the Padres potentially get Shohei Otani 
this offseason once he becomes a free agent. And I'm under the impression, and I know that some fans, and maybe you will disagree with me, I just don't see how it's possible for the Padres who don't have this lucrative TV deal. And that's where most of the money is generated for a major league baseball team. Obviously, the Padres are a little bit of a different scenario for that just because it's San Diego. The TV market is not big. It's only like the 35th biggest TV market. I learned that as I uh, interview with these TV company stations and uh, they come through here at the journalism school, which is why I'm all a little dressed up. I got my, my suit jacket on behind me on this chair, but the potters are different because they get the fans in the ballpark and have the merchandise sales that a lot of teams don't have. So they're a little different run like that, but I just don't see them having the amount of money, especially with this whole Bally bankruptcy thing to be able to fork out the money to pay Shohei Otani and Juan Soto, who are going to be asking for bigger contracts than any of these players that you just mentioned have gotten. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I, I think that they're two cases where they're two of the best players in the entire sport, and they're both still on the earlier side of the prime of their careers. Like, man, he just got $350 million, and he's 30 years old, and he's going to turn 31. Xander Bogart's got $280 million, and he's you know a similar age. Now, you could say, oh, the Padres are spending recklessly. They're they're not worth that much in the open market, but you know the point is still the same. That's what they got. And so I think Soto... I think Otani are definitely going to get more than the 350 million that Manny got. I think they're probably going to ask for at least $40 million annually. And I think they're well within their rights to do just that. I think with both of those cases, I think you're right that it's going to be difficult to sign either one of them long-term. I think though, that there is a chance that you could retain one of them through a similar structured contract to what Manny's first contract was, where you give them the massive guarantee over, you know, maybe 12 to 15 years in the case of Soto or Otani, you give them an opt out after maybe five or six years, you know, through about half the deal um, where they're still guaranteed to get a ton of money, but it, it has that backside protection as well, where if they get injured or if they're not performing as well as you would have hoped, then they still can opt into the remainder of that deal. I don't know if that's something that either of them would pursue, but I think if the Padres are to retain one of them, I think it's going to have to include something like that, where there's going to be an opt out where, Hey, if you perform really well over the next five years, you can still hit the market when you're 30 or 31 or, or, or something like that. Yeah, and I, I just looked up Shohei Otani. He's represented by CAA, and then Juan Soto, as everyone knows, is represented by Scott Boras. So that's different representation than Manny Machado has, because I think that's a good point. But if you're the Padres, is it worth inheriting that risk? Because you already have so much money indebted to these players that, say, Shohei Otani, who I think has massive injury risk every single time he takes the field, which is part of what makes him so awesome because he goes out and does these things. Is he worth doing that deal for? Because say he blows out his elbow and he needs a second Tommy John surgery, like he loses all of his value essentially. And I don't think that's worth it. Now, if you do that to Juan Soto, different conversation here, but I just don't see a scenario where that could happen unless you offer these guys like a seven year deal where they have like a $50 million AAV and they're like, all right, well, I can't really turn that down. And I'm going to bet on myself that in seven years, I'm still going to have some good years ahead of me, especially for Juan Soto, because he'll only be what 32 at that point. Like 
that that might not be a bad avenue for him to pursue, but I I don't see a way that it works. Maybe Peter Seidler does, and that's obviously more important, but it, it'll play itself out, and the Padres may ship off some money as well. I don't really know, but I think with you Darvish getting some more money, Xander Bogart's getting a lot of money this offseason, now maybe Machado uh, getting more money and being extended for a long period of time. I don't see how it's in the cards for Shohei Otani to join the Padres this upcoming offseason or for Juan Soto to be a Padre beyond 2024. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's going to be really difficult. I, I'd give Soto's. Well, I, I don't know. I, I think there's there's cases that could be made for both of them. Um, but like I was saying earlier, like if you were to give Otani or Soto forty million or forty five million annually, that's just one player that you're giving all that money to. That's going to take up a significant amount of a payroll that is already occupied by five or six other guys who are making a significant amount of money. So, like, say you still throw Soto in there with the group that I mentioned earlier, that's maybe six players that are making $150 million annually combined. I mean, that's not really a sustainable way to manage a, a, you know, world series contending roster every year. Like, yeah, it's going to be really top heavy and you're going to have some of the best players in baseball, but you're also going to be bargain hunting at the, at the end of it. And so I think it would almost be more wise for them to pursue other avenues where, you know, there is going to be a, a pretty strong free agent pitching class this upcoming off season. Like you're anticipating losing Blake Snell, but you know, Julio Urias is out there. Aaron Nola is out there. Max Scherzer could be out there. So there's other options that you could pursue on, you know, shorter, term deals where there isn't as much risk because you're inheriting a lot of risk by rolling the dice here with Manny and Xander and Tatis over the next decade plus. And, and so for me personally, like that's a lot of risk and I'd almost be more inclined to allocate elsewhere if Soto and Otani are going to command the type of deals that we both kind of think that they will. Either way, like Padre fans can't be too upset if they don't do that. And I, I think I've said this before with you on the podcast. I know I said it when they made the trades, but there was not a problem on my end when the Padres got Juan Soto. You had three three cracks at a World Series with him. You had a pretty good crack at it last year. It seems like you're going to have an even better better crack at it this year. And then who knows what it looks like uh, in 2024. You worry about that once you get through the season. And if you're the Padres, you're hoping that you win the World Series this upcoming year and then 2024 can just be kind of icing on the cake. Maybe you don't have Blake Snell. Surely there are some other players. Uh, Luis Garcia, a couple other guys who have opt-outs in there as well who aren't on the team, but the Padres have to feel pretty good about their chances. But this year with Manny Machado now staying long-term becomes less of a win-now year. Every year you have a payroll like this, your aspiration is going to be win the World Series. Anything else is disappointing. But nonetheless, it feels like it's less they have to win this year because now, even if they had a disappointing year, Machado can't leave, go to free agency, go to the Mets, go to the Dodgers, go to some NL rival team where now you have to go through them and Manny Machado to win the World Series. So I think that is certainly a good thing. So let's talk about some of the things that we've seen in spring training thus far hasn't been too much. Obviously, games started on Friday, so we've only had three games by the time that we're recording this Monday early afternoon. But one of the biggest things that has happened 
has been Jackson Merrill impressing in, in the last episode and was a lot of buzz about this on Twitter was Keith Law said that Jackson Merrill could potentially break the major league roster at the end of the season if he starts in double A, progresses through the Padres system and does well at those higher levels. How impressed have you been with Jackson Merrill to start this spring? Yeah, it's been really exciting to watch him. You know, it's only been a few games. I think he started one game and then he comes in in the second half of games when the main starters are starting. It was really cool. I think it was on a Friday. He came in in like the fifth inning and he went three for three. It was his, it was his first big league spring training. He had three singles off of big league pitchers. Like he got a he got a worked a really nice bat at bat off of Diego Castillo on the Mariners. It, it just looks like he has an advanced approach and he has a good feel for the barrel you can see why Keith said that he has an advanced hit tool and that that's one of his, you know, calling cards, so to speak. It's just, it's, it's nice to know that you kind of have him there. I, I think he is probably going to start in either high A or double A, which either one wouldn't really surprise me, but yeah, I mean, if he, if he has a, a good first half or if he has a strong first few months, it, it's probably not out of the cards to see him up. I, I think a more likely scenario is probably 2024. I think we're kind of both in the same camp there just because of how many infielders the Padres have right now. But yeah, if he performs well and, he has a chance to make it up, then great. And if he performs well and you want to trade him for Corbin Burns or something, that's great. But it, it sounds like the Padres are a little bit more inclined to hang on to him. And that's why they were less reluctant to deal CJ Abrams last year for Juan Soto is because they knew that they had this in Jackson, Maryland. Now it's starting to bear some fruit. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy how we went from oh, CJ feels untouchable doesn't perform well to start last year kind of has not, not some off the field issues, but like had some was down on himself. Confidence wise goes down to triple a and hits pretty well to start. And then after that, it kind of wasn't that good. And he comes back up, doesn't do that much. And all of a sudden Andrew Preller's ready to deal him. And a lot of people were surprised by that. And reasonably so after it felt like he was off the tables, he and Mackenzie Gore and, you're kind of seeing why they, that they've had a plan for this uh, reloading through these last two drafts. And that's Preller's strength uh, scouting, getting these players. It, it's an incredible tool that he has because Jackson Merrill, we talked about it. This is a projected second round draft pick and he had a plan going into the draft. I really like this Merrill guy. You can get him under slot in the first round and then we'll get James Wood over slot in the second round. And, both those two guys are probably the best two picks from those rounds in that draft, at least early on. Uh, both are top 10 prospects on fan graphs. And I, I think that's pretty incredible. And I, I'd agree. Merrill pushing it up in 2024 definitely feels more realistic, especially when Hassan Kim's in the final year of his contract. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'd be more inclined to hang on to him unless you get a deal that kind of blows you away where like you think it's going to be a steal. But I, I think, you know, we've heard some rumors recently about how the Padres are trying to eventually create a more sustainable product in terms of not having to just spend all over the place and instead developing young guys that can come up and be cheap major league talent. I mean, you've seen that a little bit with Jake Cronenworth and Trent Grisham. I mean, they're, they're really good complementary pieces, but I, I think at the end of the 
day. If you have a guy that can be close to, you know, a perennial all-star type of talent, it's someone you want to hang on to and someone that could be really valuable once he makes an impact at the major league level. But then at the same time, you know, prospects are just so volatile, right? Like Jackson Merrill could, he could hit 220 this year and he could totally lose prospect status. And, you know, no one would hear from him again. Like, like look at Anderson Espinosa, you know, like he was such electric talent in 2016. And the Padres thought that they had fleeced the Red Sox when they traded Drew Pomerantz for him, but you know, he, he kind of fell from grace. Right. And so it's just, it, it's so like the standard deviation of a prospect's pedigree is just so high. There's just such a wide range of outcomes that, at the same time, if, if a deal comes up in July and the Padres need a starting pitcher, they need another impact bat and the other team's asking for Jackson Merrill, you have to at least consider it. So, I mean, there, there's a give and take a little bit where like you want to create a sustainable product, but like I saw just recently, Robert Hassel had slipped a long way in the prospect rankings where last year, a lot of people were calling him untouchable in the system. And now he's kind of, well, you know, he might be like a 15 to 20 homer guy. He, he, he's still going to hit for decent average, but I don't know how special he's going to be. And, you know, you're seeing similar things with cj abrams as well well maybe his ceiling's not as high as we originally thought it was going to be so there, there's definitely a give and take that that comes with prospects but you you hope that while he's here jackson merrill's the real deal and you hope that he comes up and he makes a big impact for the padres and he helps him win a world series but in reality it's just really rare that something like that happens yeah who knows the potters could run like bandits in that Juan soto trade which when it happened you're like oh man they had to give up all of these highly touted prospects and then the two, like, not unheralded guys, but the two that were outside the top 100, being James Wood and Harlan Susana, those two guys all of a sudden may seem like they're the two really good ones that the Nationals could be getting that trade. And I, I'm still a massive believer in Mackenzie Gore. And every time I had to watch Sean and I and Mike Clevenger pitch down the stretch for that Padres team, I'm like, man, really wish we had Mackenzie Gore right now. He was hurt, but just going forward. Uh, tough pill to swallow there. And I, I didn't think we'd get a, a standard deviation reference on this podcast. So uh, good job with that one. And uh, I, I 100% agree. Like Merrill should not be untouchable. And it, it feels like we're going to see the Jackson Merrill, Corbin Burns trade rumors for a long time because Willie Adamas, he's a free agent uh, upcoming soon. And Corbin Burns, already seems pretty mad with the Milwaukee Brewers after uh, they went to Arb with him and basically threw him under the bus seemingly for the Brewers collapsing because he wasn't quite as good in the second half last year when the Brewers really needed him to be in dumb, small money, small market organizations uh, hurting their players and another good trade of AJ Prellers not taking his players into arbitration so that he avoids that sort of stuff. But uh, well, we'll see. I think Corbin Burns would be a great fit on this team, and he would add some pitching depth going forward too. Would be on the Potters in the 2024 season as well. So that'll be something we'll have to monitor. Uh, any other players stood out to you? I know that uh, some outfielders have been very good as well. Yeah, just one more thing I wanted to touch on before we do sure. move on is uh, 
with Manny's new contract, it does push the team slightly above that final luxury tax threshold. I know that for like the past like month or two closing out the off season, it, it seemed like they were doing a pretty good job of trying to stay underneath that number. Now, I don't know how significant it is that they're now over that number by a little bit, if it prompts them to want to go spend a little bit more. Um, but, but it is something that I kind of noticed was like, Oh, okay. Now they're, they're over that number. Maybe now they're over that number. They kind of figure, well, we can go out and do whatever we want. Now we don't really have to worry too much about spending over that number because Corbin Burns is another guy who I think he's making around $10 million this year. He's someone who would likely raise that figure if they were to trade for him. Um, And so it's just one more thing you got to consider and and kind of take into account just because, yeah, maybe they're a little bit more inclined to go trade for someone big now that they're going to be over the luxury tax threshold anyways. Like they have until the end of the season to get beneath it, but I have every indication to believe they're going to finish above that number this year. Yeah. Corbin's making $10 million on ARB this year. And I, I think that's a, a good point. And we'll, we'll get the official numbers once the contract is officially signed. Uh, we're still waiting on that. Like I mentioned uh, earlier, reported agreement. And when these things, you very rarely see a contract extension uh, report get tonight, especially since when these guys come into spring training, they have to take team physicals. There wouldn't be a reason that these, uh, these wouldn't happen. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that happens. So back back to my previous question. Um, has there been anyone else that has impressed you thus far early in spring training? Yeah, I have, like you mentioned, I have been looking at the race for the final outfield spot. It seems between Jose Azokar and David Dahl, both of them have been getting a decent amount of time. I, I think uh, Dahl has played in every game but one now. I think this today marks the fourth game that the Padres are playing in. Azokar's gotten a couple of starts as well. Um, Azokar and Dahl have both coincidentally tripled into the right field corner at the Peoria Sports Complex, um, which was interesting to see. But I would like to see David Dahl make this roster and like really earn a spot. I mean, he's only f- three, four years removed from being a productive player in Colorado in 2019. He was an all-star. He's a left-handed bat. He's someone that can come off the bench. If you're facing a right-handed reliever, uh, I mean, he has decent defense. He can play center field. I know that the corners are probably where he's most well-suited, but I don't know. He he gives you a little bit more punch like a, a for as good as he was defensively and how he, you know, he had a decent hit tool last year, but he didn't hit a home run. He, he you really didn't think that he was going to do anything other than hit a single last year. And so having a guy like doll as like your fourth or fifth outfielder who can spell Tatis or Soto, or, you know, even Grisham out in center field, I think it's valuable to have that. Um, and I'm not sure in terms of like the options that either guy has, I believe that Azokar has multiple options that can be used. I don't know if that's the case with doll, but yeah, I would, I would like to see David doll get some run this spring. And I think he's going to with all of the world baseball classic participants, but it, it would be cool to see him make the roster at least for April and see what he can do with it. Jose Azokar has two minor league options. Just pull that up on fan graphs and David Dahl signed a minor league contract with the Padres. So, they're going to be inclined, I would say, to bring both of them on the opening day roster, uh, one of them being outfielder number three, the other one being outfielder number four, de facto to start. And then 
they're going to be inclined if they do that to send the Zokar down because if they put Dahl on the major league roster and then they don't want him once Tatis comes back, he's going to become a free agent. And I think that would kind of nullify the whole thing of bringing him in. So I think that's going to be what happens. I think they'll both make the opening day roster because Tatis is not available. And then once he comes back, they'll probably send down a Zokar because you mentioned it. Azokar was a great player for the Padres last year. Defensive replacement. You could start him and feel like, hey, you can get a hit today. But that's it. David Dahl was an all-star. Like the, the That doesn't just happen by miracle. Sure, it was on the Rockies, but the Rockies had Trevor Story, Nolan Arenado. They had good players. So I, I think that David Dahl is probably going to make this roster. He was definitely someone who impressed me. Trent Grisham hit a home run. Like, he didn't see a whole lot of that last year uh, until Grish Tober came around. But uh, I think he's due for bounce back here. I've said that. I've like poured my heart and soul into this podcast, saying that Trent Grisham is going to be a Padre. He's going to continue to play better. And I was right in October last year, and I, I think he's going to have a much better year this year. I think he's going to be an above average league hitter and he's going to be a gold glove finalist again because i think that's what trent grisham is yeah i think naturally just the fact that you could run him out there every day and anticipate him to give you gold glove defense that in and of itself is just so valuable to have in center field like gold glove center fielders don't just grow on trees like they're pretty rare for the most part like you can probably see a couple of guys that have similar defensive skill that he has but i mean it's it's not everywhere um and and so i totally agree with you i think he is due for positive regression this year i think that there's no way he hits 184 again i think he's gonna you know hit above 200 at least i i think he's definitely a candidate who can hit somewhere in like the 220 to 250 range and hit you 20 to 30 home runs and steal double digit bases and play gold glove defense. And that's probably worth three to five wins this year. And I'd feel comfortable running him out there and batting him eighth or ninth. If that's what he gives you. Um, I, I think there's still an outside chance that he recaptures some of the form that he had in 2020 and 2021. He's still really young. I want to say he's only 25 or 26. Um, there's still so much potential for him there. It's not like he's over the hill. I could totally see him becoming that guy that he was not very long ago. And, you know, stepping in as a leadoff guy every now and then. But I, I think he's a massive X factor for this team. If you can have a Trent Grisham who is productive offensively hitting eighth or ninth for you that's just huge just game changing for for a lineup yeah he's 26 had a 120 ops plus in the shortened 2020 season and then just looking at his stats from the beginning of uh 2021 he was a great player 894 ops in april and march 902 ops in may and an 877 ops in june and Faded significantly in the second half, especially once he had to play every day and then he wasn't playing every day because they brought in Jake Marisnik. And he ended up having, uh, let's got to find the exact number that he had for his OPS plus in 2021. It would be a 106. So he was still a league average to above average hitter and had a down year. And then obviously was not a good hitter by any stretch of the imagination in 2022. But won the gold glove, 
was really good for the Padres in the postseason until the NLCS was a massive part of the reason they got there. Hit ultimately the game deciding home run in game three against the Dodgers had that single against Tommy Canley in that seventh inning rally hit the home run off of Max Scherzer hit an opposite field home run on a low and away fastball against Jacob DeGrom had that uh, really clutch RBI against Chris Bassett in game three. He stepped up and I'm not saying he's going to do that this upcoming year, but yeah, if he's going to be a guy at the bottom of the order. I just also saw someone on Twitter say like, I'm all for Grish getting back to the leadoff spot. I don't think that's going to happen. And I'm not exactly sure that's the best case scenario for the Padres. Cause then uh, you're really limiting the at-bats of either Juan Soto, uh, Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis Jr., or Xander Bogarts. And we kind of already got a hint that of the lineup that Juan Soto is going to be batting second and Manny Machado is going to be batting third. But we'll see. I, I wouldn't like to see Grish batting leadoff. And I used to be on the Grish leadoff train. It's it's come to a stop, or I got off the train, I guess. Uh, so and if he can be a good hitter, he just has to be a good hitter. doesn't have to be this great hitter. If he's league average with great defense, that's a good player. That's two to three wins. If he's above league average, like you said, that's three to five wins. And the Padres need that for the price of their payment. Yeah. Yeah. Like we talked about earlier, it really is valuable to have young players who produce more than what they're getting paid. And I think there's been a lack of that in recent years. Um, really the only cases that you can point to are Trent Grisham in 2020 and part of 2021. And then Jake Cronenworth as well, who's, who's kind of embodied that whole thing. I mean, he's getting paid pennies on the dollar for how much he's bringing to this team. Um, and, and so if you have more guys like that who can produce and be major league regulars and compete for all-star selections while getting paid the league minimum or, you know, first year ARB salaries, like that, that's very valuable. And so I think it's going to be an interesting thing to follow, not only in spring training, but also into the season. I do agree with what you said now that, you have four, you know, generational type hitters at the top of that lineup. You you probably want to keep it that way, um, but it, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibilities. I don't think if Grisham does step up and perform like he did a couple of years ago to see him move up the lineup a little bit, whether that's batting fifth or sixth or somewhere in there. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of nice to kind of have him in that nine hole almost as a second lead off to where you're not counting on him for massively high OPP. But if he does get on in front of that top of the order, then he's kind of a catalyst for for scoring runs. And, you know, it, it's nice to kind of hide him lower in the order if he is productive um, to really balance out the lineup a little bit more. Because as we look at it right now, you still have a bottom three of Hassan Kim, Austin Nola, and Grisham. And that's kind of what exposed the Padres against the Phillies last year in the playoffs was they were kind of turning into automatic outs down there. If you could have a more balanced lineup with guys that can produce towards the bottom of the order, that it's going to make all the difference. And you're hoping Matt Carpenter, Nelson Cruz, before those guys like Jake Cronenworth, they can be guys that can bridge those big four into that bottom of the lineup. And I think that Trent Grisham at his best is a better hitter than Jake Cronenworth at his best, and certainly better than Hassan Kim at his best, better than Hassan Nola at his best. So we'll see about that. Would certainly not say that about Nelson Cruz and Matt Carpenter. And the last thing that we want to talk about is Fernando Tatis Jr. He's supposed to make his Cactus League debut on Tuesday. This is just 
from what Bob Melvin has told the media in the scrums, obviously this isn't like a groundbreaking thing or anything, but it's going to be pretty exciting to see Fernando Tatis Jr. out on the field for the first time since the end of the 2021 season. Yeah, yeah, it should be fun. He's going to be making his debut on Tuesday um, as designated hitter against the Giants. And so it, I, all eyes are going to be on him. I've been following along with some of the videos that have been taken that I've seen on Twitter of him, you know, in inner squads on a backfield. I saw um, he hit a double and a home run off of Michael Walker. That was pretty cool to see. I, I mean, it's just interesting. yeah, he hit a double and he hit a home run in the second at bat. Oh, I didn't see that. I saw the double. Oh man. Yeah. So, so he's, uh, I mean, you hope that he comes back and is the same player that he was in 2021. Like we were saying, I think expectations still have to be tempered a little bit just because of the magnitude of what he's coming back from multiple surgeries and multiple parts of the body, the mental aspect of having to come back from a suspension where, you know, he was one of the most more i'd say one of the more loved players in the game before his suspension and now he's going to be on the short list of the most hated players in the game i would say just you know that's just kind of how it is um at the same time though it wouldn't surprise me if he goes out and hits 35 home runs and he's right back at the top of the order and he's doing his old thing just like he was but i you know, I'm super excited to watch him play. Um, and I hope that he gets a lot of run in the rest of spring training. Just, and I think he will just based on the fact that the Padres uh, clubhouse is going to be so barren from all the world baseball classic participants that he's can't participate because of the suspension. But yeah, it, uh, I'm going to be really excited to watch him play. I just saw the, uh, the Castle tweet in the thread. So it didn't show up on my, on my notice that did it. The home run did not get the video sad. I don't know if we can welcome him back on the podcast anymore because of that, but yeah, I mean, I, I know for a fact that people out here, sports journalism majors, baseball fans loved him. Now they just, they're going to want to be there on April 20th when he makes his MLB debut at Chase Field to boo him. And that's fine. I mean, like I I've, I've booed steroid users uh, before at Petco park at spring training games and at Chase Field. I don't have any shame in saying it. It's going to be weird, but I think all Potters fans are looking forward to it. I, I believe him when he says it was a mistake. It doesn't matter, but I, I think that he made several, several careless and bad mistakes in that 2022 year uh, following the 2021 season. And he's going to have to pay the price and hopefully he can just tune it out. I know that he's good at tuning out a lot of the, the, or at least he was at the like cheers and all that sort of stuff from fans. Cause he would try and lock in on the game. So hopefully he can take that from a different light. All right, Sam, you got anything else you want to add before we wrap up? No, I don't think so. I think we're both glad that the Padres are back and playing baseball games again that you can watch on TV, which is really fun. Um, World Baseball Classic starts in just under two weeks. It should be fun to follow that as well. Uh, March Madness is heating up. March is always such a fun sports month. Uh, There were so many buzzer beaters in college basketball this past weekend. It was so cool to see, including your own Arizona State Sun Devils. In San Diego State. 
and San Diego State as well. Yeah, so so it's uh, it's a lot of fun, and I am I'm ready for opening day, quite honestly. But it, it'll be fun following the team spring training progress and just see who wins the roster spot because there are a couple roster spots that are up for grabs. Maybe the last reliever or two in the bullpen. We're gonna see how the starting rotation is gonna shake out. We're gonna see who those last couple bench bats are, like we talked about. Um, yeah, it, it should be a lot of fun. And so I'm looking forward to this upcoming month because, you know, we're hopefully going to be on here podcasting at, at least once a week here, uh, running up through opening day and uh, yeah, bringing you a lot of coverage. Yeah. And March and October are the two best sports months of the year. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they start a baseball end of baseball. And then when there's no baseball, it's kind of dry when it's only baseball very dry as much as we love baseball love other sports too and i'm excited because i'll be back home this weekend and i'll be broadcasting asu's basketball games at ucla and at usc for our student radio station so uh hopefully i get a buzzer beater because my friend got it and i let him do that game and i was very uh upset at myself watching that that i could have been the one broadcasting that but that's life so thank you all for tuning in to episode 168 of the padres east village times podcast uh on behalf of Simi Bimbo and James Clark. We hope to catch you on a future episode. Make sure to follow and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. That way you don't miss any future episodes. And hopefully you enjoy watching spring training as much as Sammy and I have to start. So take care and hope to catch you next time.